Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Volume. The NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today, and you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs, and the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205 to make the playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 877-8- Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. Normally, we do power rankings on Monday, but tomorrow evening, I am flying to Salt Lake City to do some skiing in Park City. First ski trip of the year. Very, very excited. But because I want to have some content coming out during the week, at the end of tomorrow's show, I'm going to do power rankings in a mailbag so that we can kind of have some stuff while I'm out of town. So tonight, we're just going to do... Today, we're just going to do four instant reactions to games from over the weekend. We're going to start with Clippers-Lakers from last night. After that, we're going to go into the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Dallas Mavericks as the Mavericks have a great game on a great performance from Kyrie Irving to come back and win that game late. The Celtics and the Pacers. The Pacers have been red hot. The Celtics cooled them off in a big way last night. Going to talk about Jason Tatum and his red hot pull-up shooting and what that means. And then at the end, we're going to talk Bucks rockets some early encouraging defensive stuff from Houston, and then what's wrong with the Bucks who have lost four out of seven. So we're going to do four instant reactions then tomorrow we'll get to our power rankings. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feeds wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss the film threads that I do from time to time or show announcements. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so that we can hit a good mailbag at the end of tomorrow's show. All right, let's talk some basketball. So the Lakers have been stuck in the mud ever since the in-season tournament 
Um, but they brought it in a big way last night against the Clippers. It was interesting. It was kind of one of those games where like one of two things was going to happen. The Lakers were either going to let go of the rope in this pursuit they seem to be in to get their coach fired and just get obliterated by a red-hot Clippers team, and that would be all there is, or they were going to show up and play. And like I know the vast majority – I shouldn't say the vast majority. A good chunk of the people who listen to this show don't think the Lakers are good. And and think that I'm you know allowing my bias to seep in and in my positive you know interpretation of that team in terms of their big picture potential and I'm not here to tell you guys you guys are wrong I think it's a debatable thing. There's been such it's been such a weird Lakers season that if you want to call them great, there's things you can point to right like won the in season tournament, beat the shit out of the Thunder in Oklahoma City, you know beat the Clippers twice. You can point to key wins. And, and kind of identify them as to, to build your case for the Lakers are good. And then God knows there's a ton of evidence that the Lakers are bad. That said, I, I'm a big believer that when this team gives a shit, they're at the very least in that second tier of contenders. They're not as good as Boston or Denver, but when they try hard and they're locked in into the details on both ends of the floor, I think they're every bit as good as any other team in the league. And I think you saw it in a big way against the Clippers last night. The Clippers are red hot right now on offense. They have been the second best offense in the league over the course of their last 15 games, and the Lakers shut them down, held them to a 103 offensive rating last night. Yet another example of, of what the uh, Laker defensive ceiling is capable of. I wanted to talk about some specific per, uh, performances on the Laker defense. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this show is the difference between like, I shouldn't say the difference, but I hate it. It's pet peeve of mine when people constantly say shot variants, shot variants, like, oh, these guys just missed or, oh, these guys just made shots. It To me, is like a kind of a, a loser mentality from the standpoint of like controlling your own destiny. I do think that shot variants is a thing in basketball. I just think it's too commonly used as a crutch. And more often than not, I think I think in a small sample, like, if your offense generates three good looks at the end of a game and they just happen to miss, that's one thing. But any sort of large sample size, like if you're the Lakers, the Lakers keep Lakers fans keep going, man, I can't believe this guy keeps making shots. I can't believe these guys keep coming into our building and shooting well. And it's like, okay, either you're just really unlucky or you're playing bad defense. Guys are making shots. And to me, it's better to, to like, even just – even if we just look at what's better mentally as a, an approach, I would argue focusing on process is the only way you're actually going to turn your outcome around anyway. But I actually, even above and beyond that, believe process is what determines those sorts of things. I think that the defensive process of a team is what leads to shot result. And I, I wanted to give an example because last night, Le, uh, uh, LeBron James was on Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard finished 6 for 17 with more turnovers than assists. This is a Kawhi Leonard who shot 60% from the field over his previous 14 games. Only once in that span was he held under 50%, and he was like 47% from the field. This is Kawhi, who has been laser efficient all season long. One of the things that Kawhi did last night, the Clippers run a lot of sets where they'll have like James Harden operating with the ball on like the right wing, and he's kind of orchestrating things. And they'll have Zubak set Zubats set like a wide pin down for Kawhi Leonard so that he's coming around with a curl to get uh, to basically give him an opportunity to attack with an advantage. Just smart offensive process, right? From the jump, LeBron was top locking that. So Anthony Davis is sitting back in the paint so that if Kawhi cuts back door, he's not cutting into a place where he can easily finish. And LeBron was literally, what does top locking mean? It means he's literally positioning himself between the offensive player and the screen. So if you're the offensive player and I'm looking to set a screen for you, you're looking to brush off of my left shoulder here, LeBron was sitting right in between and facing Kawhi and forcing him to take weird routes to try to get the basketball. So as a result, now instead of catching the ball in his usual spots, he's catching it in different spots. Instead of catching the ball with the defender in trail position, he's often catching it in a different position on the floor. LeBron in general was applying a lot of physical ball pressure. And then in addition to that, LeBron's one of the few guys in the league. Like There are certain types of matchups that like even in LeBron's old age, he's a perfect matchup for. So for instance, like Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is a bully ball player that can be a little predictable with his driving angles. And so LeBron, a really smart player who happens to be big and strong enough to hold up under Zion's bully ball, can beat him to spots, force him to miss shots, cause problems, right? Kawhi Leonard is a guy that uses his strength to get to spots. And LeBron's just every bit as strong, if not stronger than him. 
And so it's harder for him to get to those spots. And that's just one example, but I've, I've pointed out these types of examples all over the place. And we have another one later in the show. We're going to talk about Damian Lillard and his struggles with the Bucks and the job that Houston did, like from the jump with ball pressure, switching with physicality, stunting at the basketball, finding ways to make Damian Lillard uncomfortable. And the, the, this LeBron just top locking and applying physical ball pressure went a long way. And you know what? Like Kawhi missed a corner three late in the game against the Lakers. And I saw a lot of Clippers fans like, oh, I can't believe you missed that shot. And you're right. Like chances are like, like if Kawhi gets a wide open corner three, it's got a good percentage chance of going in. But again, if you ask yourself, what is the difference between a 6-for-17 shooting night and a 13-for-17 shooting night? If you think it's just luck, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that process is what leads to it so that when Kawhi catches that ball in the corner, he's having a, a tough night. And so he's not feeling as confident and comfortable as he's going up into that shot. I think those things are connected and related. That's a consistent theme that you hear from me on this show. And I feel the same way with the Lakers when it pertains to defense. Oh, I can't believe Dante Exum keeps making shots. Oh, how is it that Marcus Smart, I saw uh, Lakers fans like, oh, Marcus Smart was shooting 26% from three and then he makes eight threes. You were giving him wide open shots. And this is the same Marcus Smart that's made two threes a game for the majority of his career and loves to take them. So what that usually means for a guy that like takes five, six threes a game and shoots like in the, you know, 33, 34% range for his career, what that means is like he takes a ton of them and sometimes he goes one for six and sometimes he goes four for six. And generally speaking, the four for six nights are going to be on the nights when he has all damn day and he feels great about his shot. And so it goes both ways as it pertains to the Lakers, but it's a consistent theme you'll see from me on this show. I'm a big believer in process when it comes to shot results. And I think the Lakers defended the Clippers into having a rough shooting night, not vice versa. That's a consistent theme you'll see for me on the show. A couple other things. I thought Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, and Jared Vanderbilt all did a great job on the Clipper wings. The Lakers did a lot of switching too, where like if there was some sort of situation where a guy got caught out of position or if LeBron was top locking and then Kawhi cut back door, he might signal for a switch and then go and grab Paul George. They, they were switching all over the floor. Uh, one of the things that kind of makes the Clippers a good matchup for the Lakers is the Clippers are not a heavy slashing team. They're a pull-up jump shooting team. And the Lakers are not an overly fast team, but they are a long team. And so they can contest pull-up jumpers well. And I think that's a big part of why they can cause like a, a big pull-up jump shooting team like the Clippers to have some offensive problems. I thought Anthony Davis was awesome in this game too, active with his hands. He had three steals. Um, they got some key contributions on offense from Christian Wood and D'Angelo Russell. De Christian Wood was just uh, just a monster at this at the, at the end of this game, both on the glass, knocked down some big threes. The tip dunk he had at the beginning of the fourth quarter was nasty. D'Angelo Russell, huge spot up shooting, took a, one of those textbook pull up transition threes that he likes to take. It was just a great all around performance from the Lakers as they came around, and then. Crunch time, just a steady diet of Anthony Davis in the post and LeBron James in pick and roll. This is a continuing theme we've seen from the Lakers this year. Whenever they're playing against a team that has to run drop coverage at the end of games because they don't have a big that they feel comfortable switching with, saw this with the Suns, saw it again with the Clippers last night, it's going to be LeBron AD pick and roll. Le LeBron James ices the game in the final minute, three-point game has uh, Zubak in drop coverage, snakes the pick and roll, gets back to the left and takes his little patented little uh, right shoulder fade as he's kind of drifting towards the baseline. He took a similar shot earlier in the game and made it, so it's one that he was comfortable with, uh, and that basically iced the game. But I thought AD hit a couple of big hook shots late, and that's a huge piece too. And It's a big part of why I've maintained confidence with the Lakers despite some of their struggles this year. Like Anthony Davis, 10 of his 20 points last night were on over-the-top shots, hook shots and jump shots. He was hitting that pick-and-pop jumper at the elbow confidently. Like AD looks great. LeBron looks great. They both look better than they did last year. Yeah, there's shit on the margins that they have to work out. And yeah, they have effort and focus and consistency issues. But LeBron and AD being this good is super encouraging. And once again, down the stretch, which, which has been another consistent theme for the Lakers, five minutes of clutch time, meaning within five points with less than five minutes left, five minutes of clutch time against the, the Clippers last night. Lakers had a 120 offensive rating and a 100 defensive rating. That's excellent on both ends of the floor. And they got to win. So once again, because of how well LeBron James and Anthony Davis are playing in that slow down half court environment at the end of the game, they can thrive when they need to. And, and that is encouraging. Now, big picture with the Lakers, because they've been sucking 
horribly since the in-season tournament, and I don't want to gloss over that as we talked about last night's win. I tweeted after the loss to the Grizzlies. Those of you guys who follow me on Twitter will remember this. I said, I thought it was the funniest Laker game of the season because it was an unserious effort. There was game plan stuff like we talked about with Marcus Smart. They were ducking under picks and giving him uh, catch-and-shoot or uh, pull-up threes. They were uh, helping way off of him off the ball and giving him wide open catch and shoot threes. In general, they were doing the same thing with Jaron Jackson as well. Like they just the game plan was bad, but there was also execution stuff. Like LeBron and Austin in particular were getting lost off the ball a lot in the fourth quarter on guys they shouldn't have lost. And it just in general, it looked like an unserious game. You had like Cam Reddish dribbling into traffic trying to do stuff. LeBron hitting the corner of the backboard and then throwing the uh, getting a rebound and throwing the pass out of bounds. Like they just looked unserious. And like I kind of saw this coming. Those of you guys who remember the Mavs game after the in-season tournament, when they lost that game, I said to Lakers fans, I said, prepare yourself for a really frustrating season. Because they already were one of the worst effort and focus teams before the in-season tournament. And then winning the in-season tournament gave that team like a sense of positive reinforcement that almost made that whole effort and energy thing even worse. And since the in-season tournament, they've been one of the worst teams in the league. And here's the thing. Say what you want about the Lakers. And if you don't believe they're a contender, I'm not going to say you're wrong. But they're not the worst team in the league either. Okay? So, like, clearly they were playing some... Trash basketball or trash kitball or whatever you want to talk uh, to call it. They were playing bad basketball. And like I expect that to continue for the record. Because I thought last week was the pinnacle between the Grizzlies game um, and the loss to the Heat, which was one of their ugliest games of the season. To me, they look like a team that wants to get their coach fired. I've been hearing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes about just how bad the rift is in the locker room between the uh, the players and the coach. I saw a report uh, two days ago, that multiple player agents have been contacting Rob Palenka with frustration with their players' minutes. I've heard that, uh, you know, we, we talked with uh, um, Jovan Buha about some of the internal frustrations with Darvin Hand that came out in the athletics report. Sham Sharania has uh, addressed that as well. So, like, I think that team's trying to get their coach fired. But, like, every once in a while, kind of like the OKC game a couple weeks ago and then that Clippers game last night, every once in a while, the guys are like, Let's let's go out and let's 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 see what we can do in this game against a real opponent. I think specifically they're struggling with opponents that they don't particularly respect in terms of a postseason threat, right? And because that's the case, like I don't think this Clippers game is any sort of like sign that they're about to come out the other side. I, I think the Lakers are going to continue down this path of really frustrating, ugly, embarrassing losses and occasional super impressive wins for the rest of the month. That's what I expect in January. Like when we get past February, one of two th- like when we get past February, if they do fire Darvin Ham, they'll have a new coach and the players in the locker room are the players in the locker room and I expect the Lakers to lock in and play a more serious brand of basketball the rest of the year. If they get through the deadline and they don't fire Darvin Ham, I expect LeBron and AD to sit down and be like, hey man, Darvin's our coach this year. We can deal with this in the summer. We got to just lock in and get this done. And I expect the Lakers to lock in and look more serious after the deadline. But I thoroughly expect a roller coaster of inconsistent effort and focus and success for the Lakers for the next four weeks. That That's what I expect. I don't, I, I don't think we'll see anything different than that. I mean, it, it, this is just... I've seen this with LeBron teams a lot. LeBron gets kind of pouty and passive-aggressive and doesn't play well. He's, he, I've said this before on the show. I, I kind of look at him as a little bit of a fair-weather leader. He's not a guy that handles bad basketball well. And we've seen stretches like this. like Before last night, in LeBron's previous six games, 23 points per game, 45% from the field. Last night, he was by far the best player on the floor with Kawhi Leonard, who's been playing like an MVP, and Anthony Davis, who's been playing incredible lately, like LeBron was the best player on the floor. What was before those six games? 40 points for LeBron in OKC. Like, that's what we're getting from, from LeBron. We're, like, he's, he's just getting through the season at this point. I, I've seen this a bunch of times. I, I remember in 2018, before the deadline, there was a, a long, extended stretch before the Minnesota game, it was like, I want to say it was like 15 games, 17 games, I think, where he's at 22 points per game on 47% shooting. Does that sound like the, the same LeBron that murdered everybody in that playoff run was 22 points on 47% points, uh, percent from the field before the deadline. And then if you remember that Minnesota game, 
the Minnesota game where he hit the game winner over Jimmy Butler, the one leg fadeaway. Rest of the season, LeBron, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists on 54% from the field and 39% from three. Now, LeBron's not as good now as he was then, to be clear. But this idea of like a LeBron team that definitely has championship aspirations but clearly needs some change before the deadline and like them just floundering in January, super like super common ever since LeBron left Miami. It's happened like on like four different seasons, right? Like it's not it's not exactly unheard of. Now, I've seen better leadership from LeBron in these moments in the past. I thought last year pre-deadline LeBron was a lot more locked in. I think I think he was more invested in trying to carry them there, but they were in a much more precarious position in the standings, if you remember correctly. That might have been the primary uh, driving force there. But I do think it's getting kind of serious, and that's the one thing that's going to be tricky for the Lakers is we are four weeks from the deadline. And if they're going to play unserious basketball until then, they could drop three, four games below 500 and then be in a situation where they're struggling post-deadline. So I'm not sure it's the best strategy, and it's kind of a catch-22 for the Lakers because if LeBron and AD want to pout their way to Darvin Ham getting fired, I don't think that that necessarily is, 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 is a smart move for the standings. So, but if they lock in and play really well, like Darvin's not going to get fired. So it, it gets really, really tricky in terms of the, the kind of catch-22 they have there. But yeah, like I, I'll be clear. Like I don't think we're going to learn much about the Lakers and what they really can do in terms of com- a competition against the best teams in the league until we get past the deadline and we know for sure if Darvin Ham's the coach. And once that's solidified, then everybody in the locker room has no real choice but to focus on the ultimate goal, and I think they'll get more serious there. But there is no team that has a larger gap between their day-to-day effort and like floor versus their ceiling than the Lakers. And and that's why that's why you can make the case that they're a championship contender, and you can make the case that they suck and they're going to miss the playoffs. And neither side's really wrong at this point. It's more about you know whether or not you believe in what they can do in the postseason. Um. Moving on to the Clippers, I said the other day I wanted to wait until I saw a few more high leverage games before I put them into my contenders list. They had a lot of quality wins in there, right? Like they just recently went down to New Orleans and beat the shit out of the Pelicans who have been red hot. They did have this one signature win back on December 6th, a little over a month ago. They beat the Denver Nuggets in uh, in Los Angeles. But then Kawhi was out for the OKC loss. And then he was out for the Boston loss. And last night felt like a good opportunity for them to crush the Lakers and send a message. And for the record, like I mentioned earlier, I think the Lakers are a little bit of a a bad matchup for the Clippers because they're a pull-up jump shooting team and the Lakers have length to contest. And then also when they close with Zubats, they just can run their pick and roll, the LeBron AD pick and roll, and they can get great shots out of it, which is a a consistent theme we've seen over the course of the season, right? Uh, But since November 17th, make no mistake, Clippers are 19-6, and six, second best record in basketball over that span, second to Boston, sixth in offense, 11th in defense, ninth in rebounding. Kawhi's been playing like an MVP, like I said, 60% from the field in his previous 14 games. All three of Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George are shooting well over 40% from three. Uh, James Harden has been super efficient. Norman Powell has been giving them really consistent production off the bench. He got a decent look at the end of the game to potentially tie it. Uh, Zubats has been really good. He gave AD a bunch of issues again last night with his physicality. That's a consistent problem that AD's had. Is like this is why he struggles with Jokic too. Is like those big body centers that are really like like push and pull on you and and try to knock you off your center of gravity. Like he had a big offensive rebound over Anthony Davis late in this game. He had a, a big hook shot late that that cut it to one point where AD tried to block him and he just leaned into him and reached out and around and 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 put it up and in. They they're. The thing with the the thing with this Clippers team, and they they kind of remind me of Minnesota in this sense. They're not as imposing physically, but they do have the ability to really contain on the perimeter at the end of games. And again, that that's where the Zubac uh, Lebron drop coverage late game pick and roll thing was something that they could go to. And then obviously the Lakers have the ability just to throw the ball to Anthony Davis in the post too late in the game. But like other teams that like to run a lot of like like perimeter initiator ball handler types, the Clippers just match up really well with them. And then similar to Minnesota, and we saw this in the Dallas Mavericks game, which we're going to talk about, when they stick their perimeter defenders on you and they really lock in, you can go really stagnant and have a lot of issues. Except for differently from Minnesota, on the other end of the floor... The Clippers, after really struggling on offense to start this uh, after the trade, they've been cooking on offense. They've been second-best offense in the league over the last month. So, like, 
when you combine when you combine that elite half court two way potential. I, I, the biggest concern for me still remains just overall size on the interior. Can you play Zubats in particular matchups? When you go small, do you have enough aggregate size to hang physically? We've seen them struggle in that instance in some moments this season. They do have a couple more chances on the horizon for signature wins. The 14th, they play the Timberwolves down in Minnesota. And then on the 16th, they play the Oklahoma City Thunder in Los Angeles. And then they have the Lakers again on the 23rd. So here in the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to learn a lot about the Clippers in some more high leverage matchups. Um, I've decided like, cause I feel like I, I'm, I'm holding them to an unfair standard. I am going to add them to my list of contenders. I have too much confidence in Kawhi as a playoff player. Uh, obviously health is a concern, but they're playing at too high of a level to ignore anymore. It's just a matter of where I'm going to put them on that list, and I want to wait until after those two games on the 14th and the 16th when they play Minnesota and OKC. I want to see those two games and kind of see how they shake out, and then we'll pick where we're going to put them on that contender tier. We'll do some sort of like contender update list uh, when I get back from Park City. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. All right, moving on to Wolves Mavs. The Wolves end up making a late run in a similar way to what I was talking about with the Clippers earlier. They had Jaden McDaniels on, on Luka Doncic, and they had Anthony Edwards on Kyrie Irving. They actually both spent some time on each guy down the stretch of the game, but they were really locking in defensively and stagnating Dallas. And then on the other end of the floor is a steady diet of jump shots from Anthony Edwards and from Carl Towns. Carl Towns hit a couple of pick-and-pop threes off of uh, Mike Conley pick-and-pop. Uh, to the top of the key. Anthony Edwards was just hitting these tough pull-up jump shots. He had a one-leg pull-up on the left side. I think that was in Luka's face. And then he hit like a, against Tim Hardaway Jr., like a body bump, a little bank shot on the right side that he hit. And they take this six-point lead. It's 106 to 100. And then late in the game, the Mavs get it back. There was one tough shot uh, from 106-103. Kyrie hit like a jab step jumper in Jaden McDaniel's face from the top of the key that tied it. But every other bucket the Mavs got down the stretch was from Luka Doncic pick and roll, drawing the second defender up uh, because for whatever reason, the Wolves were were trapping uh, Luka in these pick ball screens, even sometimes like 40 feet away from the basket, which was a strategy I disagreed with, which we'll get to in a minute. But they were scoring out of the slip. So the first one, they, they blitz Luka, hits Norman Powell, or not Norman Powell, excuse me, Dwight Powell on the roll to the rim, and he gets an and one at the basket. Then Kyrie hits the the jab step three to tie it at 106. The following possession, 
once again, I think it was Derek Jones Jr. slips as Carl Towns shows. They hit Derek Jones Jr. He rolls down the lane and makes a kickout pass to Kyrie Irving in the corner for a relatively open three. He knocks that one down. And then they ice the game from 109-106 with Derek Jones slipping another trap. Bounce pass from Luka hits uh, uh, Derek Jones Jr. And he just goes up and dunks it with two hands. And that effectively ices the game. But I want to get back to that in a minute when we talk about the Wolves. Because defensively, I don't agree with that strategy. But I want to talk about Dallas's defense for a second. Because they were awesome down the stretch of this game. After Ant and, and Cat got them back into the lead with jump shots... They fell apart with jump shots. Ant took a bunch of pull-up jump shots late. He missed them all. Uh, missed them all. Uh, um, uh, Carl Towns had back-to-back pick and pops where Luca made really nice rotations to top of the key to get contests, force Cat to rush the shot, and he missed them both. They forced a team with a lot of size and power, and one of the best downhill athletes in the league, and Ant to take a bunch of jump shots down the end of the game. And then this is a, a, a Mavericks team that struggled with rebounding, and Derek Jones Jr came flying in for a bunch of big defensive rebounds, finished the game with 10 rebounds. The Mavericks, this is a crazy stat for you guys. Over the last 10 games, the Mavericks have the third best defense in the league. They have guys competing at the point of attack. Guys are rotating. They've got their stars locked in on defense, and they're grabbing important defensive rebounds at the end of games. That's a curious trend to see if it continues because if the Mavs end up getting into that, like, 12, 11, 10 range defensively for an extended stretch where like they're an above average defense going into the postseason. And you have Kyrie and Luka as like outstanding perimeter initiators. That's where we get to what could be a better version of the Mavs that made the conference finals a couple years ago. Again, it's not the same team. They're not as fast uh, in terms of like their wing defense, right? Like I, I, I like Derek Jones Jr. and he's doing a good job. Tim Hardaway Jr., Derek Jones Jr., and Kyrie Irving all had key possessions late where they forced Ant into jump shots. So I want to credit those guys. But like, Obviously, Dorian Finney-Smith was a little bit more of a versatile defensive player. They don't have that type of thing. But I think they have a little bit more offensive firepower off the ball. Like Grant Williams had a couple of big plays late in the game offensively where like he just has that savvy ability to finish at the rim. He had a play where he got into Gobert's body and kind of leaned out with his left hand to finish with his left. I think this team is just a little bit more dynamic offensively than that particular Mavs team was. And if this defensive trend continues... It could be it could be a, a sign of them entering into the contender tier themselves. So if they can just give me another month or two of legitimate defense to demonstrate that it's real, and now we're talking about a serious team. Down, uh, Kyrie Irving was incredible down the stretch. We talked about him hitting the game tying three in ISO, and then the eventual what basically amounted to the game winner in the right corner. But in the last three games, twenty nine points, nine rebounds, and five assists, fifty three percent from the field, fifty seven percent from three and 88% from the line. So after being a little iffy in that first game as he was getting his rhythm back, Kyrie is cooking with gas now. On the Wolves' front, again, my main concern with them all year has been half-court offense. I'm a little worried about the types of shots they can generate. It's pretty much Ant pick and roll with Gobert and then Conley pick and pop with Towns. It's pretty much like the two pet actions that you'll see them run a lot, but like when they throw bodies at Ant, you saw that play like Ant feeds Gobert on the roll and he gets kind of caught in no man's land and he doesn't know how to read the floor. So he just makes a weird one hand, a one foot jumping pass where he just turns the basketball over. Um, they're allowed, they're able to basically force Ant into pull up jump shots in those situations by offering help and ducking underneath picks, right? And then the Conley, uh, uh, Carl Towns one, it, it, it's one of those things where like, like Cat can make that shot, and he, you know, like I said, they got back into the lead with him making that shot. But Dallas was able to rotate out of it and turn him into contested threes late. This is not a team that generates super, super high quality shots in the half court. They're still at 18th in half court offense for the season. In their last seven games, they're now three and four. So starting to show some uh, some cracks in the armor after uh, after heading into a tougher stretch of their schedule. They're 19th in offense over that span and 12th in defense. Their defense is slipping as well. Everything just comes down to their shot making. And this is a team that is now 20th in spot-up efficiency. Like they convert spot-up possessions 
the 11th worst mark in the league. The, the Mavs in particular were completely ignoring Gobert. They were conceding shots to Jaden McDaniels too, who actually is a capable shooter, but they're not guarding him like he is, right? Anthony Edwards, they're forcing him into pull-up jump shots. On the season, he's 37%. That's 0.92 points per pull-up jump shot for Anthony Edwards. And so that's a big part of what's holding them back in the half court. And that's only going to become a bigger problem when they get into the postseason. And then lastly, I really did not like the defensive scheme against Dallas. So like one of the things that I loved about Minnesota last year is like at the end of these games, it's Jaden on an island, Ant on an island, and like we got this. Like you see Kyrie Irving trying to ISO Anthony Edwards and he goes to a right shoulder fade and Anthony Edwards just blocks it into oblivion or Kyrie tried to ISO J.D. McDaniels late in the game and ended up turning it over like uh, Luca made a tough step back jump shot over Jaden about like halfway through the fourth quarter but like make him make more shots I what I don't understand is like your defense's strength is on the perimeter in those individual matchups Overall foot speed is not a strength of that lineup because you have two bigs on the floor. So when you get into rotation and they're running these four-on-threes, suddenly that defensive personnel you have on the perimeter is not as valuable. And so why concede four-on-threes to Dallas when you can force Luka into tough, difficult, contested pull-up jump shots over, in my opinion, Jaden McDaniels, the best perimeter defender in the league or one of the very best perimeter defenders in the league. And so they allowed... The Mavs to play four-on-three basketball late in the game, and they got open catch-and-shoot shot for Kyrie, easy roll to the basket for Dwight Powell, easy roll to the basket for Derrick Jones Jr., and that's how they ended up losing the game late. And so I didn't really agree with that strategy. I think they're capable of being a better defense than they've shown in this in this recent stretch. But they got a couple of uh, tough games coming up, and then they're out of this tough part, part, uh, part of their schedule. Their next two games at Orlando and at Boston. They can get through that. Things lighten up a little bit more with their schedule. All right, Celtics Pacers. So one of the themes that I talked about a couple weeks ago is this idea of Jason Tatum and hunting pull-up threes and, and whether or not it's a smart shot for him. Well, over the last four games, Jason Tatum is 12 for 21 on pull-up threes, which is awesome. Think about that. That's 36 points on 21 shots. That's, uh, what, right around one and a half points per shot. So super efficient play for him. In the last week and a half or so, he was hunting Obi Toppin and Jalen Switch, uh, Jalen Switch, Jalen Smith in mismatches at the end of that Pacers game or in the fourth quarter of that Pacers game. And then literally, once he'd get him on the switch, give him space, and he was hunting that pull up three. And then after that, Indiana started throwing multiple defenders at Tatum when he would get those guys in a switch. And he was making the pass out of it. O'Shea Brissett ended up getting a, uh, making a couple of plays on offense out of that. He smoked a layup that led to a Luke Cornett tip in, and then he had another driving layup, driving out of the uh, left corner where he got all the way to the rim. But like that—that uh, that is where I like the Tatum pull-up three. It's not about the pull-up three in a vacuum. Steph Curry, his go-to move is a pull-up three, right? The difference is, is he's so damn good at it that it's consistently so efficient that he's always drawing multiple defenders into the situation, which is allowing him to make it a a consistently high-value shot for his team, either him taking it or him drawing the multiple defenders and starting those four-on-threes, right? With Tatum, it's three years of recent evidence of him not being able to make that shot more than about one out of every three times. Well, more than uh, like actually like more like three out of ten times, and so as a result of that, it's become a thing that hasn't been super efficient. But if he can get to the point where it, now here's the thing, he's six nine and and completely ripped. I'd rather have him look for a go to move closer to the rim and have him use the pull up three as more of a counter. But that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. That can be a bread and butter for him. It just has to be like this. Not necessarily 12 for 21, but he's got to be in the 40s on it. If he can get to the point where he's shooting 40% on pull-up threes and it's worth 1.2 points per shot, that's where it starts to become something that can be his bread and butter. It's just a matter of efficiency because that three-point shot is a high-value shot. The only thing I'd say, though, is again, one of the reasons why Steph has to do that is he does not have the physical tools to play bully ball and get closer to the rim. Jason Tatum does. And and so I'd like to see him balance that out a little bit better. But I do think these last four games are a great indicator of just how dynamic Tatum is when he's making that pull-up jump shot. The Boston offense has been like scorching hot since then. The the Pacers are completely helpless guarding him at the end of the game. He had another 
a, a drive on a closeout for a layup. He had another play where he got Ben Matherin in an ISO and Indiana fell asleep and they were glued up off the ball and Tatum just took him right to the basket, bully ball style, and got an and one. So he's cooking now. It's just a question of whether or not he can maintain this trend in the long run. But it does look good when the shots are falling. Uh, Boston completely dominated the fourth quarter on Jason Tatum's shot making. He finished with 38 points. But it was their defense that impressed me the most. Tyrese Halliburton has been busting everyone's ass for a month. And Boston straight up locked him up. Uh, He was taking bad shots. He was turning the ball over. The dead giveaway to me was he was kind of like forcing things, which is not something you see Tyrese Halliburton too. When he checked back in in the fourth quarter, the very first shot he took was an early clock step back three over Jason Tatum. And it's like, whoa, that's like just not a good decision, which is so unlike Tyrese Halliburton, right? And then like two possessions later, he tried to work in pick and roll and was kind of smothered by Derek White and tried to force a floater and ended up getting blocked. When you see a really smart offensive player start to get a little discombobulated, taking bad shots, he had four turnovers in this game too. That's very unlike Tyrese Halliburton. That's a testament to the quality perimeter defense of Boston and what they're capable of when they're really locked in. Uh, The Celtics have won 13 of their last 15. That is the best record in the league over that span. A 126 offensive rating in that span. Best in the league. That's outrageous. 112 defensive rating. I think that'll be better to... Uh, when Porzingis actually can get on the floor and stay healthy for an extended stretch. But like here's the thing, man. Like if Tatum if Tatum can get that pull up jump shot going the way he had it going this last week, now we're we gotta reevaluate Boston because a lot of our kind of approach with Boston has been geared around him being a guy who deliberately takes and hunts inefficient shots. So that's the question. Was this a small sample size of Tatum being hot? Or a sign of his hard work paying off? Because we had a mailbag question last week. People were like, hey, why uh, why isn't Tatum you know, adjusting from these pull-up threes? And one of the things I said was, I think he's trusting his work. I think he believes that he's worked hard enough on that shot for it to be his bread and butter, and that's why he hunts it. If that's the case, then this 12 of 21 could potentially be the first step in a new era of Tatum being a more efficient pull-up jump shooter. All right, Bucks Rockets, and then we're out of here for the day. So the big thing that stood out to me early on in this game was the difference in ball pressure between the two teams. So we've, I, I'm not going to talk about uh, Milwaukee's perimeter defense uh, defense in this particular video just because we've done that like three times in the last two weeks, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I wanted to show you guys the juxtaposition of this, and I clipped a bunch of clips that demonstrate this. You can find them in my Twitter feed at underscore JasonLT. I did it, I think, on Saturday or Sunday morning. I think I did it on Sunday morning. Um... But early on in the game, Houston was pl- applying aggressive and physical ball pressure on Damian Lillard. A lot of Jay Sean Tate and Fred Van Vliet uh, being like physical with him. Physical switches too, where like when he's going into his screen, like Jay Sean Tate's like grabbing Dame and almost like physically like throwing him to Fred Van Vliet who like grabs and catches him. They're just being handsy with him. There was a play where Jabari Smith got switched onto him and he's swiping at the basketball and like pushing out at him on 35, at like 30 feet from the basket. And again, I want to continue to draw a line between shot result and process rather than shot result and luck. And and this is a consistent theme that you'll we've talked about on this show. And, and I don't want to harp on it for for too long because we did it earlier today in the Lakers video. But I'm a big believer that that's a big part of what leads a guy like Dame into having a bad shooting night. I wanted to shout out Alperen Sengun. He didn't have a great shooting night against the Bucks. He was seven for 21 from the field, but he still had 21 points and 11 rebounds. He had. Uh, just super aggressive and confident in the post. Like Brooke Lopez has given him issues finishing around the rim, which is why his shooting percentage was down, but he was going right at him. He was going right at Giannis in the post and giving him buckets. I want to shout out Shangun in the big picture because in his last eight games, 27 points, eight rebounds, and five assists on 55% from the field. He's the best player on that team. Uh, one of the better offensive engine bigs that we have in the league right now, which is becoming a very valuable thing with the way that NBA defenses are run. Like So many NBA defenses are geared around the ball handler and chasing in the screen defender being in a position to deal with the ball handler that having that guy be an offensive threat is just such a huge value. And you're seeing Shangun being the next in, uh, in a long line of guys who have thrived in that way. Jabari Smith Jr., I thought he was incredible on defense in this game. He had a bunch uh, of good possessions on Dame. He was doubling Giannis and rotating out of it. He was cleaning up the defensive glass. There's this possession where he's guarding Bobby Portis at the top of the key, and he digs down and hard doubles Giannis. Giannis makes the kickout pass. Jabari's such a great athlete. 
He actually gets back out from a hard double to Giannis and chases Bobby Portis off the line, forces him into a pull-up 15-footer at the foul line, misses. Jabari Smith comes flying back in from out by the three-point line, grabs the defensive rebound, dribbles down the floor, and hits a pull-up three in Giannis's face. This was a guy who couldn't dribble when he came out uh, 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 of the draft, and he's just continually massively improving on a month-by-month basis. I'm super, super excited about uh, how good Jabari Smith Jr. can be and what a good partner, too, to have alongside Alperin Shangun in that uh, that front court. The Rockets, by the way, are now eighth in the standings, and they are fifth in defensive rating for the entire season. The Bucs, they've lost four out of seven. 25th in defense over that span, giving up 120 points per 100 uh, possessions. A couple of major issues. We've talked about the uh, point of attack defense, so I don't want to do it again here, but that defense is being uh, uh, um, causing problems. I want to turn the attention to the offense today with Milwaukee, just because we've talked so much about Milwaukee's defense already. This game thing is starting to get weird. We had this three-game stretch in mid-December where he was hot, right? Because we had the first 22 games of the season. He was Pretty mediocre. 22 games, 25 points per game, 42% from the field, 35% from three. Not bad. Again, Dane gets to the foul line a lot too, which bumps up his true shooting percentage and efficiency, which I mean is a, which I mean is a compliment. Like get it. I, I may hate the way the game is officiated, but that doesn't mean it's not good for a basketball team, like a guy that can get to the foul line a lot. Dane gets to the foul line a lot. So it actually increases his impact there in a lot of ways. Um, but after that 22 games, I remember I was telling you guys, like, eventually Dame's going to get his rhythm and this is going to look better. Well, he went three games in a row where he averaged um, 37 points per game, 57% from the field, and 53% from three, 96% from the line. And it's like, okay, Dame is back, right? Well, nine games since then, 22 points per game, 39% from the field, and 28% from three. So outside of that three-game stretch, he just hasn't been very good. Uh, by his standards. And that's, we're now 34 games of Dame into the season. And the weird thing is, I don't think it's his legs. I think it's rhythm. He had the other day had a nasty left-handed dunk driving down the lane. Like Dame looks like his legs are there. I I think he just looks a little hesitant to be aggressive uh, with the way that that lineup is put together. Like the Bucks are weird in the sense that like, I think specifically Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton have a little bit of an outsized opinion of how, how big their role should be. Like Giannis is playing at an MVP level. You need him doing all his wrecking ball Giannis stuff. But like Dame is the guy you got to get going. And like I'd like to see Chris and Brooke play more like in the flow of the offense and less initiating possessions. Like there, there was a possession there uh, in the Rockets game where it was like, middle of the shot clock and Brooke is like taking a spinning one leg fade away, like 15 feet from the basket. I'm like, what are we even doing here? And like Brooke's a great basketball player and I'm not trying to undercut him, but like it made more sense for Brooke and and Chris and, and Drew to be aggressive when you didn't have a Dame. You have a Dame now. You, you traded for Dame. Don't trade for Dame and then don't let Dame do what Dame does. To give you an idea, he, uh, Hasn't taken Dame has not taken 20 shots in a game since Christmas. He's done it only eight times in 34 games this year. He did it 35 times in 58 games last year. So just in general, how often the ball is in his hands as an opportunity to uh, uh, initiate possessions is at, a, is at a much lower level this year. And I do think that he's struggling to adjust to that. And, and one of those things too, like um, if we can get to the point where – where Dame is basically running like a heliocentric your turn, my turn thing with Giannis, I think it's going to end up leading to more opportunities for Brooke and for Chris Middleton anyway. And that we have data with Brooke in particular that shows that he's just better when he takes shots in the flow. Brooke Lopez, unguarded catch and shoot jump shots, 38%, 1.1 points per possession. That's great. Any other type of off the dribble or guarded jump shot, 35 for 118. That's below 30%. And he's also taking almost three and a half contested or pull-up jump shots per game. So, like, what if instead of that, Brooke never took a contested shot except for at the end of a shot clock situation and you just gave Dame the opportunity to take two more pull-up threes in pick and roll? Like, that could be the thing that helps get him into rhythm, especially early in games. And Because the gist of the problem is this. You made a trade 
that sapped you of your best and most versatile perimeter defender and brought back a superstar offensive player. But that offensive player hasn't played nearly as well as he's capable of. So now you're bad at defense and you're good at offense, but not good enough to make up for it. Right, like over this last seven game stretch where they're three and four, they're seventh in offense and scoring 120 points per 100 possessions. Really good, but not good enough if you're going to be that bad on defense. And that's the thing, because like I don't think the Bucks are going to be able to make a significant upgrade in their point of attack defense. I think they'll be able to make a minor upgrade. I think they'll be able to make some sort of minor upgrade that sends Malik Beasley to the bench and puts a better perimeter defender at the two. But there, it's only going to be a mediocre upgrade. So I think it's vitally important that this team reaches their offensive ceiling. And the only way they're going to do that is if they get Dame back to where he, closer to where he was last year. With the level Giannis is playing at this year, if you can combine that with Dame from last year, you, you, could, you could do some really special things in this playoff run. But they've got to figure out that balance. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with an instant reaction to one or two games from last night as well as power rankings and a mailbag. And then, like I said, I'm going to be in uh, uh, Park City. I'll bring my gear with me just in case, like, Darvin Ham gets fired or if uh, Pascal Siakam gets traded because he almost got traded last week. Uh, but other than that, we'll plan on taking the rest of the week off. And then uh, we have one more. I have one more ski trip uh, at the end of the following week, which is mostly over the weekend. And then when I get back, it's uh, grind time until playoffs. Uh, as always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.